following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, real, I just want to share something with you real quick. If you would open up your Bibles, if you have them, uh, to Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 11 through 19 just real quick this morning before we send you on your way. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles that are sitting right in front of you. Uh, it's page uh, 1627 in the pew Bible if you, if you need a Bible. And hey, I'll tell you what, if you don't have a Bible, you take that one with you, okay? Um, we need to order some more anyway, so not a big deal. Um, so Luke chapter 17, verse uh, 11 uh, through 19. Man, it's so hard to preach after baptisms because I feel like uh, they did uh, just a phenomenal job. And, and just praise the Lord for, for the testimonies. Um, Jordan's got a job as a preacher, Matt, let me tell you what. Except he needs to learn how to smile a little bit more, you know. Um, But uh, Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be at. I just got back from Israel, like I said, and uh, there was a guy on our trip. Um, I I didn't go with really anybody I knew except Craig Clapper went and his wife Jan. I got really, really homesick this past trip um, just because there were so many couples on the trip and they're all in love and my wife's over here and uh, we're in love, but it's hard to be in love when you're uh, an ocean between you, literally. There's so many songs that are written about that. Um, so uh, so it, was, it was kind of a struggle for me. Um, and there's just a lot of married couples on this trip, but there was one couple uh, that was there. Um, and a guy, his name was David. And he had a condition on the trip. Um, he had, a, you're going to help me with this, a plantar fasciitis. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, And so we walk a lot in Israel, like over 60 miles um, total, and it's about eight miles a day. And it's it's truly a painful thing, this this planter. We just call it PF for short, and we're going to do that from here on out, and you're going to be okay with that, okay? And um, so it, it was commonplace. End of the day, we would look at him, and we would say, David, how's your feet? And he would look at us every single, every single night, and he would say, we're good. God is good. He's faithful. And, and I just praise the Lord that I got through another day. And then uh, my roommate, um, his name was Bill. He was from Florida, a lot older than I am, but we got along really great. We would come back to our, our room, and I would look at Bill, and I would say, Bill, how does David have this thankful spirit, you know, that just this attitude of gratitude as we're walking around? I know he's in pain. How do you think he's doing it? And uh, I know he's giving praise to the Lord, and God is good, and I understand that, but how do you think he's doing it? And, and Bill looks back at me, and he says, um, well, I've been, like, feeding him ibuprofen this whole <laughs> And so um, part of thankfulness, the foundation for thankfulness is ibuprofen. <clears throat> um, but it would always come back to, to him just being thankful, and I wondered... Um, where does that come from? How do we have the attitude of gratitude? How did David get that? And how do we get that? Um, and, and in Luke chapter 17, let me see if I can just outline this for you. Um, as we look at verse 11, there's, there's a story in the Gospels that is huge. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, that's the capital city as we know. 
of, of Israel and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is slamming. I don't know if you know that or not, but there's so many people there. You can pray for them. It's a pressure cooker over there. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And it says in the Bible in verse 11, if you look at that, if you have it in front of you, that he was passing along uh, between Samaria and Galilee. So he's going between uh, two spots. And we know that he is going to fulfill a prophecy that was said about him. The reason Jesus goes to Jerusalem is that there was this massive prophecy about him that he would come and he would have a triumphal entry into the city and people would wave palm branches. It's Good Friday right? Where Jesus would uh, walk into the city and people would be excited about the fact that he was going to come and they would uh, praise him. They would say, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. That's what's going to happen. And that's why Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. But he gets stopped all the time because he's the son of God. (laughs) And uh, he passes along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, it's interesting in the text, um, I did a little bit of research because we were right there. If you go, and I wouldn't die for this, uh, but there's a little town in between Samaria and Galilee called Tanakh. It is right on that border. And we don't know for sure if this is where Jesus is at, but we can make some speculation that he's relatively close uh, to Tanakh. And the reason that Tanakh is so interesting to me is the name of Tanakh uh, in, the, in the Bible means uh, essentially who humbles thee and who answers thee. And so we're going to see 10 people are going to be humbled here in the text, and Jesus is going to answer all of them. And like I said, I wouldn't die for the fact that that's where he's at, but it would make a good story if he was, and it would be like God if he is there. And so he's going uh, between Samaria and Galilee, and he's going to enter into a village, and he's going to be met by 10 lepers, okay? Now, lepers are people that have a skin disease, and it's really kind of gross, like your skin starts falling off of your body, and the way that we could probably equate um, Old Testament or New Testament leprosy would be uh, with the AIDS epidemic. You remember when that transpired and we knew people who had sores on their body. So it'd be very parallel with people who um, were, uh, had the symptom of, of AIDS in our day. You can make that kind of parallel. And they're on the outside of the city, okay? So you have 10 lepers who are outside. Now, when I read this story, I always think that they're like a far distance away, like kind of uh, they're in Wyatt and, and, and Jesus is going to Bremen, okay? That's where I think they're at because they were forced, according to Levitical law, to be outside of the city. But that's not necessarily true. Um, according to the Old Testament, they're 100 paces away from the city. Okay, now how far is a pace? Well, I Googled it for you, so you don't have to. A pace is 2.5 feet. So get this, they're only 0.04 miles away from the city. That's how far they are away. They're far enough away that they yell at the people who are going into the city that you should stay away from us, we're unclean. And so uh, they yelled to the people, they say, unclean, unclean, we're unclean. And the people were forced essentially to uh, reroute them because in the Old Testament, according to the law, if you touch somebody that was unclean, you were unclean too. And I remember um, a a while ago, as a matter of fact, I just saw this the other day, um, there's a picture of, I believe it's Princess Diana, and she shakes the hands of somebody who had AIDS. It's a really historical picture, and it's phenomenal, and because it's really a good picture of what Jesus would have done. Um, But people didn't want to touch him because they would be unclean as well. And so he enters into this village, and he's met by 10 lepers, but they're probably yelling at him, 
in the group and they're saying, unclean, unclean, stay away from us. But then they see Jesus and the chants change a little bit because they know Jesus. Jesus's ministry is all about mercy and grace. Jesus's ministry is all about giving to people what they don't deserve and changing them radically. So they see Jesus and they know he's one who has mercy and grace and authority to do things because they've heard all the stories about Jesus. They know uh, that Jesus can do things that other people can't. And so they uh, cry out to him, scream to him. They lift up their voices, as it says in verse 13. They cry out, Jesus, Master, Yeshua, um, which means Jesus who has authority, master over us. And that's Peter's word. Did you know that? When he says master, that's Peter's word. You remember when uh, they're in the boat and they're caught up and the storms come and, and all of a sudden Jesus is sleeping in the boat and that happens in our lives. Like uh, things are transpiring and Jesus is sleeping and we're like, why, why aren't you awake? And so they wake him up and uh, Peter says, master, we believe that you have the ability over the seas in order to calm down the waves. And what does Jesus do? He calms the sea. Uh, Peter also says, uh, master, two other times in the biblical text. He repeatedly um, calls uh, Jesus master, which means he has authority over things. And so these 10 lepers cry out, Yeshua, Jesus, master, the one who has authority, could you have mercy on us too as well? For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm sure you've done it and I've done it and gotten to a place in your life where you cried out for God, right? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. I put myself in the story with the 10 lepers. I could see myself on the outside of that and I see Jesus walking through and have mercy on us. And then Jesus, I love it. He, he looks in verse 14 and he says, what does he say to them? Uh, it says, he says, but I think he yelled. I think there's a full-blown uh, yelling match that is transpiring and the crowd behind him is always like confused because Jesus doesn't do things in an orthodox way. He always does things differently, especially in my life. I don't know how your life works, but Jesus always works the complete opposite of what I had thought he was going to do. And uh, Jesus yells back. And what does he say to them? He says, go, show yourselves to the priests. Show yourselves to the priests. Why? Why would they need to show themselves to the priests? Now, track with me here. Jesus is going to work in his own law. According to Leviticus, you have to go show yourself to the priest in order to be cleansed. And so what he's doing is he says, I want you to turn around and I want you to go towards the priest. And as you go, you're going to be transformed. You're going to be renewed. The sores on your body are no longer going to be in existence. You're going to be healed. And they would have done it so uh, like, just like that. Because they knew, remember, he was somebody who had mercy and grace and authority over diseases. And so what do they do? They turn around and they go towards the direction uh, of the priest in order to be cleansed. Now, I think Jesus is a mastermind here. You want to know why? Because he essentially puts the priests on pause for a second because they're going to be tied up with hearing how Jesus healed them. What a mastermind. He's like, you go tell the priests, and they can't tell one priest, you have to tell uh, 10 priests. And so 10 priests are going to be caught up listening to these stories about Jesus. And Jesus knows, like, they love to hear stories about me, so go ahead and tell them some stories. And uh, they go on their way. And so Jesus and his leadership is going to populate uh, his ministry with other people. That's another sermon for another day. And so it says in the second half of 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. 
as they went, they were cleansed. And so I could just see them like walking and then, um, did, did you see this? And then, and then they walk some more and then, hey, you're, you're being healed too. And then they walk some more and, and you're being healed. And, and all of a sudden, they're caught up with each other and they're looking at each other. They're like, they're like, we're being healed. This is amazing. And then I think their walk probably picked up into a run and then they sprinted and then they got to the temple, right? This is what has transpired. As they went, they were cleaned. 15. And then one of the guys, um, as he's going, he stops. And he realizes that he is healed. Do you see that? He stops in his tracks, realizes that he's healed, but something is transferring in his heart. Now we're moving into this Thanksgiving season, and here's the crazy thing. Nine guys are going to go, and they are going to go selfishly because Christ has given them a miracle in their life, and they're going to use it for themselves. One guy is going to have an internal heart transformation that is going to lead to renovation that is radically going to change his life and be the foundation for Thanksgiving. Look at what happens here. One of them, verse 15, when he saw what had happened and that he was healed, he turned back. An external transformation has taken place that led to an internal heart renovation. Now, in the text, when it says he turned around, that is the same word for repentance. Repentance is turning and going the other direction. He is moving in a specific way because of what God has done in his life. And he realizes it's not by his own efforts. It's because something else has transpired. And so he turns and he goes the other direction. Salvation through Jesus Christ is an internal heart renovation, not something external because of the glory of God. True salvation happens when we have a heart renovation. I believe with all my heart that this guy is truly saved and it's going to validate it in the end. And I think the other nine guys are going on their way. It is possible for you to experience the miracles of God and not have a relationship with him. It is completely possible for you to get a miracle, if you will, from the creator of the universe and still not have a renovation of the heart. This guy turns around because of his faith. He is repentant, and he comes, and he praises God with a loud voice, obviously, because he's far away, right? Praise the Lord, I'm healed. Jesus has done a great work in my life, and he comes running up to Jesus, and he falls on his face at Jesus's feet, and he gives him what? Thanks. True thanksgiving comes from a heart that has been renovated because of the faith that we have in Christ. And he looks at Jesus and he thanks him and he appraises him and he gives him thanks. Now the crazy thing is, here's the deal. He's a Samaritan. You know the story of the good Samaritan, right? The person who was stuck on the side of the road and he, you know, somebody came along and the priest came along and he didn't help and then the associate pastor came along and he saw the senior pastor not helping so he's just following suit and then all of a sudden somebody else comes and, and, and they give aid. A Samaritan is a half-breed. It's like a half-Jew, half-Gentile, all right? And Jesus is what? He's a Jew, and so this half-breed from this different walk of life is at his feet, 
And it's amazing because what Luke is trying to demonstrate here is it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. You can find yourself at the feet of Jesus giving thanks and praises for God who has renovated your heart. I think sometimes, so often, we get to the spot where we think, I can't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of where I've been and what I've done. And that's so far from the truth. If the Samaritan can come up to Jesus and he can be radically transformed and and changed, he humbles himself before the Lord and he says, Jesus, thank you for what you have done, not just externally on my skin, but thank you for what you've done in my heart. Do we have that same attitude as we approach the Thanksgiving season? I'm just not glad that God gives me shelter and food and family and friends. Those are great things. And a church, and uh, he's given us all the possessions that we could possibly ever need. We were driving through Israel, and there's these people there that are called the Druze, and they live essentially uh, between the towns. And they live like in these shacks and these shanties, and crazy enough, they raise sheep in the mountains. And we were driving through, and here comes David, and he looks at us, and he goes, man, we are so blessed by what we have that we don't live in such a poverty state. I started to think about that, and I was like, you know what? That's true, but some of us live in a poverty state in here because we've never really been transformed through faith in Christ. We've never really had the opportunity to have that heart renovation. Have we turned our lives over to Christ and give him thanks for what's happening in here, which leads to that external? And so here, this Samaritan with a bad background, with a rough background, finds himself at the feet of a Jewish rabbi giving him thanks and praise because he's renovated his heart. Now here comes Jesus, right? And this would be my question if I was Jesus, and thank God I'm not, but he says, um, we're not 10 lepers cleaned? He's like, well, hold on a second, There's, there was 10 of you. Jesus is constantly struggling with mankind's fallen sinful nature. There was 10 of you guys. Where are the other nine, he says. Where did, they, where did they go? Oh, they were so consumed with themselves that they needed to get to the temple because their to-do list was huge. I mean, it's been years since they've been sick, and so, you know, those list of things just continue to grow, Jesus. You know how it is, right? Jesus is like, no, I don't know how it is. I have no idea. The, the list is, is huge, and they had things to do. They had places to go. But this leper stopped in his track, turned, was repentant, came to Jesus, and he says, you know what, my to-do list can wait because the king of the universe has saved me from my sins and my sickness. The foundation for our thanksgiving has to come out of that renovated heart. This season when you're sitting around your table, whether it's just you or you and your spouse or you and your kids or maybe there's 50 people at your Thanksgiving and if there is, man, I'll pray for you because I know just that that's overwhelming. And you go around the table and you say what you're thankful for. Or maybe you don't. Maybe it's just up in here. When you get to that spot, I would pray that you would find yourself as the one leper that turned from himself and found himself at the feet of Jesus saying, thank you for a renovated heart and for all other gifts that have come from you. That the to-do list can wait that the things that we have to do can wait. Jesus says, no one was found to return and give praise to God except what? This foreigner. He's a foreigner. He's a Samaritan. Just you came back. It's funny. The Jews reject Jesus. We were, um, we were at the Western Wall 
which is amazing. It's supposed to be um, the closest spot, for those of you who don't know what the Western Wall is, it's supposed to be the closest spot where the Jews feel the presence of God is at in the world. It's fascinating. Um, it's really a retaining wall. The temple is gone. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's, it's no longer there. And so we were there at Shabbat or Sabbath, and so everything shuts down on a Friday for the Jews. Um, as soon as sundown comes, uh, they shut it down, and it's, it's amazing because uh, the streets literally, it's like the walking dead come to life. <laughs> and um, so all of a sudden, um, the, these Jews are finding themselves at the Western Wall, and what they'll do is, as you walk in, they'll ask, are you Jewish? <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny because every time I go over to Israel, people think that I'm um, the bodyguard of the group that I'm with. <laughs> Last year, it was No Shave November, so I had this huge beard and just hanging out, you know, or whatever. And so they look at me and they say, are you Jewish? And I'm like, no, I'm not Jewish. And the reason they're asking is they go through this ritual where they tie up these things on their arms and they put these things on their head based off of Deuteronomy that says, you will bind these things on your arms and, and they'll be on your foreheads. And so they do this as a ritual. And so if you're Jewish, they want to make sure that you don't miss that. And so I was asking the guy, I said, um, I said so uh, you're Jewish? And he's like, yeah. And we just started asking him questions and stuff like that. And he says, what are you? And I was like, man, um, I'm Jordan. <laughs> uh, and, and thankfully, uh, God heard my prayer, and Craig comes up behind me. And um, he's like, what's up, man? And I'm like, I'm talking to this guy, and he's Jewish. And, uh, and he's asking me questions. And he's like, hey, uh, we follow uh, Yeshua. Um, and then he gave a couple other Greek words uh, that I forgot. And um, this kid just went totally, like, like just glassed over. And he says, we are followers of the way. And you could tell there in that moment there was division because the Jews don't believe that Jesus has come, that Jesus has, has, is the Messiah. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as, as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that you can be so close to God's presence but so far away. Now let me tell you why I say that. Because if you go to the Wailing Wall, you'll see all these Jews who are begging um, God to bring the Messiah. If you go to the southern side of the uh, temple that was torn down, there's nobody there. It's my favorite place in Israel because that's where the church started. And you'll go over there and you'll realize that nobody's there. Nobody really, quote unquote, cares about that spot because we're living it out today in our society. See, when Matthew chapter 28 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is where Jesus commissioned out the church. And what I realized here is, it's just like the 10 lepers. You can be so close to understanding God's glorious gift, but yet so far away. And there's a saying in Israel where it says, um, the, Sabbath, or the Jews didn't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept the Jews. And they celebrate this Sabbath, and they're so close to God, but they're so far away because they're too concerned and consumed with themselves. And if we were to be honest, that's American consumer Christianity at its core. Because we are so close, we're at the wall, but we're not choosing to look to the right to realize that Jesus has come, has died, has risen, is coming again, and our lives should be living sacrifices, as Romans tells us, for him. We can change if we transform, if we 
turn and repent and move in the direction in which God wants us to go, and that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter who you are. If you find yourself at the feet of Jesus, it is the foundation for thanksgiving that everything else happens. And then Jesus says this to him. This is amazing. The very last verse in 19. He says, listen, rise, go on your way. I think that Jesus helped him up. I really do. I think he reached down and I think he dried his tears and he brought him back up to your feet, to his feet. And he says, listen, listen to the very last word. Your faith has made you well. Nine other guys got a miracle from God and went along with their own selfish lifestyle. One guy turned, repented from himself, went to the feet of Jesus and his faith made him well. This Thanksgiving, you got a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you placed your faith and your trust in him? If you haven't, then you really don't have the foundation for, thanks, for thankfulness. You just don't. But if you do, man, what a glorious thing it is to see the eyes, uh, to see the world through the eyes of Christ. It's outstanding. This year for Thanksgiving, I am so thankful for my relationship with Jesus and all of these people who made declarations for him. What a catalyst for us to make declarations for faith as well. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you and praise you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you came and you died and, and you rose again. That you're ruling and reigning, you're in control of all things. And because of faith, you call me your child. If you find yourself here, you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You never made a declaration. Or you're saying, you know what? I don't know Jesus the way that these people know Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Very simple. Ephesians tells us it is by Grace, you have been saved through faith, the grace of God. So don't leave here today if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just in the quietness of the sanctuary this morning, just say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want you to come inside my heart. I want you to transform me and make me new. I want to follow you. I want to be a believer in Jesus Christ. All the stories are true, every one of them. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He wants to give you life as well. And I know so many of us here in this place know Jesus as our Savior, and that's awesome news, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's kick Thanksgiving off right. And let's first of all give thanks to God for the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you that you don't leave us in our distress but that you rescue us, that you redeem us, that you give us life now and life eternal as well. How great it is to be called a child of God. And may our thankfulness for all other things flow out of that relationship that we have with you. That would be the lens that we see the world. Let us be thankful for the good times. And may we be thankful for the hard times. Because as your word says, all things transform us more into the image of Christ. 
May we be living sacrifices, set apart, holy for you. May this season be a reminder of how much you loved us, that you came into the world to save a sinner like me. But you didn't let us stay in our sin. You redeemed us of our sin, and now you're sending us out and calling us to a life that tells others about Christ. May this Sunday be the catalyst for this season. And may we, uh, around our Thanksgiving tables, tell people how thankful we are that God rescued and redeemed us and give the opportunity for them to know the same Jesus that we know. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Thank you, Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is in your awesome wonderful, powerful, marvelous name, the name of Jesus who has come and will come again that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.